Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Today, we are joined by Karen Passu. She is the owner of Farmers Insurance Agency in McMurray, PA, and she has such an incredible story to share about her daughter's battle with panic disorder. Karen, thank you so much for coming on today. Yes, thank you so much, Emily. I'm super excited. I am too. Honestly, I was just telling you about, I first met Karen, I think it was several months ago now, and she spoke at a women's event and she shared the story about her daughter, Bella, and there was not a dry eye in the room. And it was such a compelling story. So it's awesome that you are first willing to share not just a compelling story, but a very sensitive one. And um, and that you're willing to do it on this kind of platform, because I know there's going to be so many people listening today that are going to need to hear exactly um, the struggles that you've gone through, but more importantly, the lessons that you've gained through it. My daughter, my daughter's name is Bella. And um we truly viewed this as talking about it and sharing her story and sharing, you know, my part of the story and what we went through. It not only helps other people, um, but it also heals us. It heals her and it heals me and it helps us to, you know, get through. Um, and it's amazing, though, as you talk about the these different struggles that you have in your life, just by talking about it and talking about it, just purely talking about it, just the healing that you can get just by sharing and speaking to others about what you've been through. It's huge. So I will always share. I will always, always, always share. I love that. And I feel like already, I mean, we could quit while we're ahead because <laughs> right there, that that's so powerful though, because particularly, I mean, we're going to talk about a really sensitive subject and one that a lot of people don't want to talk about or feel ashamed of. And so the typical response is to say nothing and keep it all inside. And it's so encouraging just to hear you say, no matter what your battle is, talk about it because that in itself is therapeutic. Well, for us, though, in the beginning, I don't know if I first time you and I met or you heard the story, if I really touched upon this, but when my daughter was first diagnosed, is it okay for me just to jump right into it? Uh, Well, you know what? Actually, let's keep everybody in just a little bit of suspense. Because, okay. um, so everybody's got to keep listening here. We'll, we'll get into it. But I, I feel like it's, it's important that we also make sure we're, we're all using the same terms and kind of on the same page in terms of anxiety disorder, what panic attacks are, because I know there's a lot of myths out there. There's a lot of misconceptions. And though um, we know that anxiety disorders among children are very common. In fact, they affect nearly one third of adolescents between the ages of 13 and 18. So there's a very good chance that the listeners either have a child in their family who suffers with anxiety or know someone who does. But for those that aren't so familiar, can you just kind of, again, get us all on the same page? What does it mean to have anxiety? So anxiety is um, so anxiety is that feeling that you get, and some people may um, call it, uh, "Well, I'm worrying" or "I'm nervous," but it's just, it truly is a step above that, and it is 
thoughts in your head where you become anxious about things that truly you really shouldn't be anxious about. Like it doesn't make sense as to why you're anxious about them. And then a lot of times what happens is you have these thoughts in your head that just aren't making any sense, but then it starts to affect you physically, right? So if you have a generalized anxiety disorder, you, and for my daughter, how it began, she started complaining of stomach aches. She had stomach aches all the time. And it was when she, this all started when she was 12. And that was how these thoughts and these anxious thoughts in her head started affecting her physically. So I have stomach aches. I think I'm sick. You know, I don't want to go to school. My stomach hurts. And so that's how for my daughter, that's how it all started coming out. That's interesting because those may not be the what people would define as a classic symptom, or at least for those that haven't experienced it, may not pink, link those things together. What is a panic attack? What does that feel like for the yep. person who's suffering through one? So the huge difference, um, when somebody has an anxiety disorder, they're still able to go about their day. They're able, to, they're still able to say push through or fight through that, and it doesn't stop them in their tracks. It doesn't stop them from getting done what they need to get done. Panic disorder, you're done. Whenever a panic attack hits, um, there's nothing you can do. It is completely debilitating. Um, for my daughter, when she would have a panic attack, there were varying degrees and varying levels, if you will, of her panic attacks, but it would go from, say, hyperventilating, um, having a hard time breathing, to screaming, crying. Sometimes she would get um, verbally abusive, physically abusive, um, because it is truly, as she would say, it's like an outer body experience. You have absolutely no control and you're truly in a state of panic. And there is, when you're in that moment and when you're in the middle of a panic attack, there is no, okay, just go about your day. Just go about your business. It's not happening. It's absolutely not happening. It truly forces you to stop dead in your tracks, pay attention, listen to this panic attack, work through it. And then, yeah, on the other side, you'll be able to go about your day. But when you're in the middle of it, you're not getting, you're, it's debilitating. It truly is. So that's the big difference. I mean, panic attack, there's no going about your business. Where with anxiety disorders, you're still able to work through it and go about your day. That's so helpful for you to talk us through all that. I've held you off long enough. Tell us, <laughs> tell us, Karen, about the day that your world changed forever. So um, as I kind of started to mention, so my daughter, Bella, she is 18 now. Um, but when this, when this uh, journey all started, she was 12. Um, we'll never forget it. So... You know, it's so funny when you say, you know, when you look back and you say, oh, you know, maybe that was a sign or, oh, I remember that or, but truly at that moment in our life, we were completely blindsided, but I will never forget it. It was right around Thanksgiving, Christmas. She was in sixth grade. And um, again, it started with my stomach hurts. I don't want to go to school. Um you know, I, I'm having stomach pains. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. 
So we knew she was struggling with something, but you know, as a mom, you're like, is somebody bullying you? Is somebody being mean? Is there something going on at school that you need to talk to us about? We never in a million years thought anything with regard to mental health, mental illness that was not on our radar. Um, and in fact, as a mom, I will openly admit this and I do all the time. I handled it completely wrong in the beginning. I was one of those moms because I didn't understand. Um, I never really had a personal experience with mental illness or mental health. Um, and I didn't know anybody in my family that had. So I was one of those moms in the beginning where I was like, suck it up. You got to go to school. This is what you got to do. Everybody's got to do it. So let's get going. Um, but what happened between Thanksgiving and Christmas that year for my daughter, it just kept kind of started to build. And then over Christmas break, truly her world fell apart. It completely fell apart to the point where she was so panicked um, that she wouldn't leave our house. She truly would not go anywhere. And if we would try to get her to go anywhere, it would be kicking and screaming because for my daughter, and what you have to understand for those that suffer with panic disorder, these thoughts become just this vicious cycle in their head. And they can't control them or they have a hard time controlling them. And then these thoughts start affecting you physically, right? We all talk about how the brain and body, it is a thousand percent connected. So it would start affecting her physically while she would start getting these stomach aches. And then she would, a big thing that you'll find with people that suffer with panic attacks or even anxiety is their fear of getting sick in front of other people, meaning like vomiting in front of others. And what that all stems from, a loss of control, having no control, right? But that is their big fear. So for my daughter, she would have these thoughts. It would then go to her stomach. And then these thoughts would just start, well, you're going to get sick. If you leave the house, you're going to get sick. And then what are people going to say? Are people going to laugh at you? What are people going to think? And it was just this vicious, vicious cycle that just started spinning out of control in my daughter's head. She couldn't control it to the point where it completely... It debilitated her. She did not. She was considered homebound when she was 12, and she truly did not leave our house for four months because of her panic disorder. So um, it was an unbelievable, difficult journey, uh, and it was one that truly, like I said in the beginning, we didn't know a lot of people. Um, so this was so new. So I was, you know, you're on the internet, you're researching everything that you could possibly find find out. You're making all those phone calls to the doctors and you're making those initial, let's, I'm being honest, you're making those initial phone calls to a therapist, which those are hard. Like it's one thing to call a doctor and say, you know what, I have a broken arm. But then to reach out to somebody and say, I think there's something mentally wrong with either myself or my child, there's something about that that just, it's hard to say those words. It really is. And it actually, it choked me up just thinking about it because I know during that time, it was, it, it was hard. It was just so hard. And it's almost like you have to get over yourself and you have to get beyond that and just realize it's okay. You know, it is okay. And once you get to that point, and then, you know, you're able to easily, you know, make some of those connections that you need to make. Because truly, with something like this, a lot of times, you really have to be out there paving the way for your child. Because that's a difficult road. It's a very difficult road.
Hmm. And did you feel mom guilt oftentimes throughout this process? Um, mom guilt in the sense, what do you mean exactly? In the sense of, did I do something to cause this? Oh, yeah. Am I doing yeah. the yeah. best I can do? I mean, a lot of self-defeating thoughts, basically blaming yourself for the situation or for worsening it. I think a lot of moms are our own worst enemies. Without parents, a doubt. Parents around, mm-hmm. but, I, but I appreciate that moms tend to be really on the front of the front lines fighting these kinds of battles. And then we have these battles in our minds about Correct. these kinds of questions. So how, how did you, what kind of thoughts did you have around that? How did you deal with those thoughts? Well, you, you truly start to like go back to the beginning, right? So, you know, because, and she was my first, so it wasn't like she was my third child and I could say, oh, I raised her just like I did everybody else. What happened, you know, what's going on? She And, you know, she was my first child, but truly you do, you question everything. Did I, was I too difficult on her? Did I put too much pressure on her? Did I, you truly just question all of your parenting skills and everything that you ever did. And then when she starts to struggle, I had horrible guilt because as I said, I handled it totally wrong in the beginning. I had horrible guilt that of my initial response and that I was so ignorant and uh, not compassionate at all about what my daughter was going through and what she was struggling through. And I mean, just think about that. And I still, I mean, when I think about it, and here's my daughter, she doesn't understand it. She has no idea what's going on. She's 12. And then she comes to me, her mom, right? Who's supposed to understand, who's supposed to get it, who's supposed to help her and know how to handle these things. And I didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't know how to help her. I did not handle it properly in the beginning. And and I mean, I have horrible, I still have horrible thoughts about that because think about how isolated that had to make her feel. It had to make her feel so much worse about herself, you know, and really feel she already felt alone, but then that just had a, it just had to make it worse, to be honest with you. So I still feel badly about it. I mean, but honestly, now she's 18 and, um, you know, that's part of it. It's part of the journey. You learn and you grow. Yeah, it's part of the journey. You've been open about the difficult uh, road of finding the right therapist for mm-hmm. Bella. Mm-hmm. And as you said, you know, once you could sort of gather yourself and figuring out that something was really wrong here when she was 12, you got on the phone with doctors and therapists. Talk us through that journey of getting her to the right therapist or therapists. There might be multiple in her life. And what are the lessons you've learned along the way? Because I'm sure if you can help other parents avoid some of those rough spots that you had to go through, I'm sure you'd love to do just that. So my big thing is, and this is what I tell everybody, so you need to, and therapists out there may not like me saying this, but honestly, my job isn't for the therapist. My job is to help my child, right? I need to help my child, and that is my number one job. So for me, I tell everybody to, when you are start starting to look for a therapist, you kind of treat it as you're dating, right? Hmm. So because if your child is not comfortable, doesn't have a connection to their therapist, they're not going to get well. They're not going to open up like they need to open up. They're not going to talk like they need to talk. 
it's not going to work. So you truly need to find a therapist that your child can respond to, can connect with. And it's okay to go to a therapist, you know, once, twice, three times. And the good therapists out there will totally 100% agree with me. And it's okay to say, you know what? I'm not the right person. You're, you're not exactly what my child needs. And maybe they'll refer you to somebody else or you just, you start doing your homework all over again, trying to find somebody that may be a better fit. But I am a huge believer. If you truly want to be well, then you need to find a therapist, especially when you're dealing with your child. I mean, your child needs to feel safe. They need to feel comfortable. And they're not going to open up and talk if they don't. So you need to find that right person. So if you have to go to a couple till you find that right person, that's what you need to do. How'd you even start? Because I know there's therapists (laughs) with, I mean, there's, you think geographically, maybe, I mean, nowadays, maybe that isn't a barrier. Um, Then you think about there's different approaches. So there's sort of different philosophies of, of therapy then. I you, know, you I don't know if you want someone who specializes in adolescent therapy or adult therapy or someone who spe- specializes in those particular disorders. I mean, I, I'm not even in that and my, my brain is already feeling overwhelmed. Right. So what's the best starting point for a parent who just needs to take the first step and, you know, put sort of one foot in front of the other? So definitely you need to communicate with your child first in the sense that Are you comfortable talking to a girl? Would you prefer talking to a guy? That's the first step. You know, talking with my daughter, I knew she would not be comfortable with a male. So I knew I wanted a a lady therapist. So that's the first thing is you need to talk to your child. Maybe they don't care if it's a male or female, but you first need to speak with them and find out, again, male or female, what they're more comfortable with. Then from there, there are therapists out there that specialize in many different um, disorders. And then there's some that only deal with kids. There are some that deal with teenagers. And then there's some that deal with, you know, adults or couples or families. So, and they truly, like, if you go on, be it either their websites or you get hooked up with your insurance company, these therapists, they give you a complete description of what they, you know, what they specialize in. And then you can kind of just, you know, narrow it down from there. And then truly you just have your list of names and you just, you start calling. And honestly, you let's be honest. I mean, a lot of times you can kind of tell, right? When you're talking to somebody on the phone, their personality, if you feel like they're going to be a good fit um, for your child. But honestly, the, another hurdle, not another hurdle, but a hurdle is truly finding a therapist that has availability. There are, there, that is a big struggle is finding therapists that have the room, if you will, to take on new patients. There, in my opinion, there's definitely, um, it's hard. It is hard to sometimes to get in with uh, the right therapist for your child. Yeah. Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Oh, there are a lot of things stacked against families who are struggling with this. And I didn't even think about some of these things. So, oh, you've been through a lot and you're so great to talk about all of it. So uh, you shared about how Bella was homebound for yeah. some time. And I, it, if I'm not mistaken, that was maybe even a recurring experience. Did that happen to her multiple times? 
so what happened was she the this all initiated her sixth grade year um and that's when she was homebound for four months and then obviously during that time we got her hooked up with the therapist and she truly when she first started she was seeing a therapist three days a week um she now sees one we still i'm a huge fan of therapy um she still sees the therapist like say twice a month um so, but yeah, so we got her in a good spot. She got back into school, like going into her seventh grade year. Um, and she got into a good spot. And it's almost like we became complacent with it. So she starts doing good. She's in with a good therapist. And you sort of um, relax on some of the things that, basic things, eating right, getting enough sleep, um, you know, she would do these different, um, uh, exercises of kind of like self-talk, like how you talk to yourself, just different things that her therapist had taught her that she was doing every day. But then kind of like, once you start doing good, you're like, Oh, I can skip a day. And then, Oh, skipping a day goes to, you know, skipping a couple of days. And then in my daughter's sophomore year, so like three and a half, four years later, it came back with a vengeance and it was rough. It was really rough for sophomore year again. Um, it was about two years ago now. And it, we were back to exactly where we were. We were back uh -huh. exactly where we were. And at that point, um, we decided not to go back to the therapist that had helped her so much when she was in sixth grade because my daughter was older now. Right. And that's something you also need to think about. Your child grows and changes. So your therapist honestly needs to grow and change with them as well because they have different needs or different ways of communicating. So the therapist that works for them when they're 12 may not be the right therapist when they're 16. So when this all came back out again, uh, her and I talked and we had agreed that it was time just to try somebody new and that's and that's what we did and she still sees that same therapist that we got hooked up with about two years ago um but a lot of times it is you just it's ever-changing it's constantly evolving and you just it's like trial and error and you can't be afraid though to say you know what that didn't work and keep keep learning and keep growing and keep trying because if you become stagnant and stuck with what you're doing you know, mental health is one of those things. You can't just, you can't always just relax with it. If it's an ongoing um, concern, you need to, it's like a job in a way. You need to stay, there's those things you need to do. You need to stay on top of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So missing school for a significant amount of time in sixth grade is certainly serious, but I'm assuming that once you're a sophomore in high school, it's even more consequential to miss out on school. Mm -hmm. How did you loop the school system in? How did you get their help? How did you get accommodations? What was their reaction to all of this? I mean, is this something they were accustomed to dealing with? I I'm curious about just the school's role in all of this and how you were able to successfully navigate that side of things. So with her edge of the school, that is something that we count as a blessing. So our school, where we live, um, my daughter goes to Chartier's Houston. It's an extremely small school. Um, in her graduating class, I think there's like, I don't know, 70 kids or something. And um, when, no, when this first started with Bella in sixth grade, this was kind of, 
it was my first go round and it was their first go round. But what I can tell you, what I can tell you is that um, they were amazing. They were absolutely amazing. They came mm -hmm. alongside of us and they put a plan in place with her. They got her hooked up with the tutor, which was one of the teachers at the school that basically, um, truly, she's just a wonderful lady. And she just came alongside Bella and just helped her and kept her on track while she was homebound. I know it's really sad and it's really unfortunate because I've heard of other people that have had struggles with their school districts and them really working with them. Um, again, for us, I can't say enough about our school. I mean, it was a tremendous, it was a tremendous blessing um, how our school responded to it. And I don't know if it's because it's a small school and they're able to, I, I don't, or if they're just wonderful, both they're wonderful <laughs> people and, but they, um, they were amazing. And even our sophomore year, I mean, we, I used to speak with the principal daily and he, um, he was just, they were there, whatever Bella needs, however we can help Bella, whatever we need to do. We want to keep Bella on track. Like they truly just cared about my daughter. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's it incredible. was a blessing. Yeah. It, they're incredible. And yeah. they clearly went very far out of their way to be on the call on the phone with you every single day. And oh, that's, no that's beyond the call of duty, right? I mean, they cared about your family and I'm sure that was a needed lifeline when you were probably very much so at the end of your rope at many days. I will never forget actually with my daughter. So that was her sophomore year and that's how the year finished out. She was still wow. dealing with this and then she's supposed to start her junior year, but you know, you're off for summer and we're really working hard to get her back on track. Right. I will never forget this two weeks before school started her sophomore or her junior year. The principal called me at home. It's like, hey, I know the school schedules came out. I just want to see how Bella's doing. What do we need to do to get her to make sure she's starting school off on the right foot? How can we help? What do we need to do? And so literally the week before school started, my daughter went to school, was able to walk her schedule with her therapist. Wow. They her, and they allowed her therapist to come in so that they were able to walk through the school, walk her schedule. And any triggers that maybe came up with my daughter, their therapist was there to kind of, you know, let's see if you can handle it this way. Or, you know, here's the bathroom. If you're feeling anxious and you feel like you need to leave, see, the bathroom's not that far. Like, they were just amazing. They really were. Yeah. That was incredible. I'm so glad to hear that. They're heroes and probably un and often unsung ones there. So how... Have you stayed healthy during all of this? And your husband, I mean, I cannot imagine the psychological toll it's taken on you. And they, is it called caregiver syndrome or something with <laughs> the caregiver's effect, right? Yeah, but truly when we pour everything we have into taking care of someone else, it's very easy for you to become sick. So how have you kept that from happening? That's a great question. So I don't know if I know the answer to that. Um, I honestly, I think it's just my faith. It's truly my faith and having my deep belief system. That is what has helped me um, have the right outlook um, and keep myself grounded and keep myself sane, um, knowing that ultimately 
I can stress and I can worry and I can feel overwhelmed, but ultimately I can do only what I'm able to do and I just have to give the rest up to him. So I think that truly my faith is what has, without a doubt, is what has helped me heal and stay healthy throughout this whole process. Yeah. And how has the stress of Bella's situation impacted your family unit overall? So, um, it was when I, it, you know, it was one of those things where you can't, there's no word to describe what it was like when we were going through all of that. Um, the amount of stress, we also have a son who's two years younger than Bella. Um, and so when Bella started all this and she was 12, my son was 10, he's in fourth grade. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand, you know, why can't we go here? Why can't we do this? Why? I don't understand um, why I can't go to a friend's house for New Year's Eve because Bella won't leave the house. So, you know, it um, it may sound silly, but to a 10 year old, that's that's hard. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and I'm seeing his sister struggle and have a panic attack. Because. I mean, we didn't understand it. Bella didn't understand it. And then seeing your sister go through something like this, it's scary. It's actually very scary. It was very scary for him. And for our family, it was extremely, I don't know, it was a very stressful time. But truly, we I found that we came together more as a family during that time. And we really just kind of rallied around each other and family first. And you do what you got to do to make it better. And that was just our attitude. Oh, I don't and know. <laughs> I, I, and I, I know you enough to know that that's such a true thing about your attitude is always so positive and you truly light up a room and you're always laughing and you say good things. And that goes so far to have the right mindset, to have the faith, to have hope in something that sustains you. And then those sustain your relationships too, which are under tons and tons of pressure. But, you know, to use the analogy, it's it's the greatest amount of pressure that creates diamonds. So I think also, I think I've always been a positive um, person, but truly through this whole process with my daughter, I think um, I became more so, right? And the reason being is because, you know, your child feeds off of your emotions, right? They mm-hmm. can feel... You may not be saying anything, but they can see if I'm stressed out or if I'm uneasy. So I would never want to set off my daughter, if you will. I would never want to be a trigger for her, a panic attack. So I, through this whole process, I have found that I don't let anything, I don't let anything affect. And that's how it all started. It really started because I didn't want something to affect me. And she would sense that which then would give her more anxiety. So I really just, like I said, I've always been positive, but ever since this happened, I will not allow things. I won't allow it. I won't allow things to um, bring me down or make me feel anxiety or I just won't. I won't because I don't want it to put it out there because they do. Your kids, they look to you and how you're responding and they feed off of that. And if they say, oh, mom's anxious, that means I need to be anxious. So I I won't do it. Hmm. Yeah. So it, keeping our own or be, uh, uh, mm-hmm. an incredible self-awareness of our own emotions Correct. and the prospect of mirroring to, right. all, you know, and they say, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy, right? <laughs> so, but there's, 
there's so much truth to that, that we, we many, in many times, the mothers are the emotional leaders of the household and we set the emotional tone. And sometimes we wield that power to our advantage. And, but sometimes we can unknowingly create this um, morale, either good or bad. Such a good reminder. I needed to hear that, Um, particularly particularly during quarantine and COVID-19 life. I mean, it's, it's hard to keep morale, right? I mean, it's, we, we laugh, but this is a hard time. And that's encouraging to me in our own struggles. Karen, you've worked really hard to remove the stigma of mental disorders. And, and part of that is, you know, you talking very openly about Bella's experience. You have a podcast that deals with that. So I want to talk about that a little bit later too. But why is it so important to you to take that stigma away? It is so important. And because I always go back to when my daughter was 12. And when my daughter was 12, she was so afraid of what people would think and how people would respond if she was to tell them what truly what she had going on. And it it really, it just made me so aware. And it makes, it, it makes you heightened to, you never really paid attention to how people word things or different pe- things that people say. Um, and they, they don't, a lot of times they don't mean anything by it. It's just how we throw words around. But I, so for us, it was watching my daughter initially being so afraid to tell anybody. But then what really flipped the switch for us was when my daughter finally had the courage to start speaking and to start telling her story. I could visibly, every time she would speak, every time she would share her story, I could just see just a little bit of the anxiety, something just lift off of her and get more confidence in herself and what she has going on and realize that she is okay. That her panic disorder does not define her. It is not her. She, Bella is not panic, right? Wow. She may struggle with the panic disorder, but she is not a panic disorder. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. It does not define her. And and more importantly, it does not define her worth. Correct. Correct. Mm. So we're huge into sharing and we will share and we will talk to anybody about this because we truly believe that there is healing and there's power in your words and there's power in sharing without a doubt. Yep. I remember you telling the story of you were, I think you were on a missions trip or you were, you were out with kids and I know that did not go as planned, but I remember (laughs) you speaking about there were other kids that were Bella's Mm -hmm. age that came up to you and said, I've been having this very quiet battle Mm -hmm. and I've been afraid to say anything, even to my own parents Mm -hmm. until you shared your story and I felt comfortable to share mine. So we were on a, um, uh, mission trip it was with a youth group and it was a two-week mission trip in panama so we were completely out of the country and and truly getting on this mission trip was a huge feat for my daughter because this was the summer after her sophomore year of high school when this all came back so truly my daughter honestly probably was not ready and in the right mindset for this mission trip but I was not gonna, I was not gonna let that happen. 
my daughter was going on this mission trip. This has been a dream of hers forever. And she, and this isn't me bullying my daughter into this. This is truly my daughter wanted to go on this mission trip. It's one of those things where we were not going to let her panic disorder stop her from mm. doing something she was always wanted to do. So again, it was a battle, but we got there. We did it. We were on the mission trip and uh, getting to Panama throughout the day of traveling, my daughter had roughly five panic attacks, truly in front of her entire youth group and all the youth leaders. So everybody at that point, if they had no idea what a panic attack was, they knew. They got a crash course. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But seeing my daughter have a panic attack and then go about her business and not oh. let her stop her. It did her not strength. stop her. Yeah. I admire, she's got the strength of a thousand women. I mean, I just are warriors, even women right. warriors, because to go through that experience in front of people and then pick yourself up and keep going. I, just, your yeah. daughter is <laughs> so admirable. There's so many people that would be afraid if they had um, gunk in their teeth, you know, right. <laughs> so, and that's, an, that's embarrassment enough, but for oh, just, just to give her some kudos in that she's incredible. Because I think we always, we just always said we weren't, you know, she wasn't going to let the panic, her panic disorder stop her. I mean, we knew it would, we always call it a bump in the road or a hiccup. And that's how we viewed it. We didn't want to make it any bigger than that. Because when you make it bigger, it does consume you. Don't give it that much power, right? Mm -hmm. Don't make it bigger than it needs to be. So, but watching these other youth, yes, watching her go through her panic attacks, we she had a few people come up to her on the mission trip, and one lovely young lady um, diagnosed bipolar and never told anybody, never told wow. anybody, and it was that well, obviously her parents knew, her therapist knew, but she was always afraid, ashamed, embarrassed, and didn't want anybody to know. And for the first time, she felt comfortable speaking freely to Bella and myself because of how open Bella was with her struggles. Yeah. I so we, we, there's just, we just, there's healing and power in sharing where we just firmly believe that. I am a hundred percent behind you and working to remove that stigma, but we've also talked about how there's this sort of unintended effect of the awareness of anxiety and Mm -hmm. um, depression, which is that term is often used, we'd probably say overused at times. Right. So how, as somebody who has seen what it really is like to experience anxiety and panic, and then you have a, a young person you know, maybe just throw out, oh, I'm so anxious about a test coming up or I'm feeling panicky. How does that make you feel when you hear that? So it, you know, it's, it's a concern. And here's why it's a concern, because there is definitely a lot more awareness to mental health and mental disorders now than there has been without a doubt. Um, but what happens with that is, as you were saying, a lot of people just freely um, throw those words out there, um, be it either, you know, I'm depressed, um, I'm anxious, I, I just had a panic attack. Honestly, I'm suicidal. I just want to kill myself. Um, 
I've, we've heard people say, oh, I'm feeling so bipolar today. I'm just up and down. I'm all over the place. And those are just words to these people, but to people that are truly struggling, that takes away the difficulties that they go through and are going through. And what it also takes away from is if somebody is newly struggling, right? And they're, mm -hmm. let's just say they're seriously having thoughts of suicide, okay? And they're first, they're coming out to somebody for the first time saying that they're struggling. But if that person is so used to hearing other people throw it around, are they taking them seriously? You know, are they really thinking, okay, that's a concern. That's something I need to be, I need to go talk to somebody or I need to go tell somebody that that person just says they think they have suicidal thoughts. So it desensitizes all of us because we're so used to, especially within the youth today, with our teenagers today, they're so used to some of these kids saying these things that when it is real and when someone is truly struggling, it may just go unnoticed because they're so used to hearing it. It's, it's really, it's very sad. Mm, words absolutely matter. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I know I threw a lot of things around when I was younger too. We don't always realize the consequence of that, but there's adults too. I mean, those, those Correct. words are very mainstream and uh, it's such a good caution to choose our words wisely. And while it's great that people are communicating how they feel, um, the particular labels that we use to describe that we should be very thoughtful about. Correct. How's Bella doing today? Oh, well, she's doing fantastic. So she is, she, besides being sad, because she's a senior in high school with yeah. the whole coronavirus. Oh. So, um, but she's great. She's truly great. She obviously still sees her therapist. Um, again, I'm a huge fan of therapy, but uh, she still sees her therapist. She truly has not had a panic attack in months. Um, but it's one of those things where, she, I mean, every now and again, she may feel like her anxiety coming on. But through her therapy, you, you learn coping mechanisms and you learn what to do and how to handle it. And she's staying on top of, honestly, getting proper sleep, exercising, because that just all plays into it. Um, but she's doing great. She's 18. She's a senior. She's, she's going away to college. Wow. She's not going far. She's not going far, but she is going to stay there and she's going to live there. She's going to live away from home. So that, um, that's exciting. I mean, it's super exciting just because, you know, a couple of years ago, we would have, she didn't even want to leave the house. And now she's going to be heading off to college here in a couple months. So it's, and honestly, um, we view it as a blessing that my daughter had this struggle at such a young age because we feel like um, she learned so many different coping skills and different life lessons. And she became so much more aware of herself her strengths, her weaknesses, and we just feel like she's in such a better place now because of where she came from. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Bella. And I need yeah. to thank her because she's um, yeah, being talked about here and, and so willing <laughs> to share her story without um, being a part of this. So uh, she is so incredibly brave. 
I, I want to end with you sharing some resources or communities that you found really helpful to plug into. You know, like we started the conversation, you, you didn't really know where to turn to to start. Sure. And you do have a podcast that could also be a resource to families, I believe. So can so, you yes. just talk about uh-huh. some of those places that you recommend for parents who are maybe in the same place of the journey, maybe a little bit behind you in the journey, maybe even a little bit ahead of you, but what what would you say are some go-to resources for them? So there's, there's numerous, right? Um, so first let's talk about the podcast. So mm-hmm. actually myself, my daughter, and then Jay and Becca Ware, we have a podcast. It's called C50 Hope and it's the letter C50 Hope. Um, and it's c50hope.com and we do a podcast and we've brought on different people to come on and share their different journeys and struggles uh, with mental health and mental illness. Um, but on our website, there's some different resources on the website. So again, it's c50hope.com. But beyond all that, where we truly dug in and found help, um, we found a lot of help, honestly, in our church. Um, they provided a lot of different resources. In fact, the therapist that my daughter sees now, we got through our church. Um, Mm -hmm. so they've been instrumental. They've been huge. Um, and truly I've just, that's a really good question. There's so many different groups out there and there's so many different, um, people that you're able to connect with. You almost just have to find what's going to work best for you and for your child. Um, definitely reaching out to your doctor. Um, you know, they're a huge resource as well. Um, but for us, it was just really, you know, kind of surrounding ourselves with just good people that were there to help, um, lift us up and walk alongside us through our journey and just not being afraid to talk about it. Because honestly, a lot of the resources that we found, we're just by talking about it to different people and they'd be like, Oh, you need to meet so-and-so or, Oh, you need to talk to so-and-so. So if you're keeping your story, your child's story, you know, inside and not sharing, you're missing out on so many good opportunities of who someone, you know, who they may know or different resources or different therapy groups. So don't be afraid to share because truly that's how we got to where we are today. We got connected with all these different people because we talked about it. We talked about it. Yeah. On that note, Karen, I want to thank you again for being so open and honest and taking us through this journey that you've been on and continue to go on. I wish Bella all the success in the world. I hope her freshman year of college is a really exciting one and just a start of many new beginnings. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.